Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them, He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to this to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not. I have now found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Amen. So, um, there is such a thing, when we, I believe that when we get to heaven, there will be two things that will surprise us. One of them will be that we'll be shocked at how much God loved us. Be one of the surprises that we will find. And I want to tell you today, if you doubt that, I want you to know that God loves you. And if you're a believer, you're a Christian, the Bible says He loves us as much as He loved Jesus Christ. That's in John, I believe, chapter 17. But the other thing that I think that we will be, um, we will see when we get to heaven will be that we'll realize how much God wanted to do for us. Great things that he had in store for us. But that did not happen. And I think that will be so kind of sad to realize that there was a lot that God wanted to do for us but those things did not happen. Now, why could that be? Why would that happen? It's because of one simple thing that I want to talk about today, something that's critical to the Christian faith in these verses. And I won't talk for long because I want us to pray tonight, and this is related. It is faith. Lack of faith is what often keeps us from the things that God has for us. You know, there was one time, um, if you... If you want to buy something, 
in America, you need a currency, you need the U.S. dollar. The more of it you have, the more you can buy stuff. Okay? If you go to Canada, there's a different currency there. It's a Canadian dollar. I was on a flight one time. I went to Vancouver. I was ministering there on the way back. Um, I did not have time to get dinner. We were ministering to a boy who was in a, into some very, very dark things. So anyway, so um, when we got on the flight, I was so hungry, I wanted to buy a meal, and uh, I only had U.S. dollars. So they were like, this is Air Canada in Canada. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't get, take U.S. dollars here. So, uh, and... Um, I think they, they, they ended up, I, didn't, I ended up getting a meal anyway. I don't know how that worked out. So, but uh, in heaven, there is a currency. You know what the currency of heaven is? Faith. When there is no faith, there is nothing you can expect from God. When there is little faith, little to expect from God. When there is great faith, there are great things you can expect from God. You can't even get saved without having faith. And the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible, impossible. It's impossible to please the Lord. And so the more faith we have, um, the more God is pleased with us and the more he can have his way through us and fulfill his purposes through us. So I do want to talk about, about that in these passages here because we have here in this man, in this Roman centurion, a great example of faith. So the Bible says that there was um, Jesus entered Capernaum. So from all indication we have, it seems like Jesus lived in Capernaum. That's where he would often always travel, but he often go back there. There was a centurion um, whose servant, uh, whom his master valued highly, and was sick and about to die. Okay. So in those days, Israel was under Roman occupation. So the Romans controlled the world, and their army, their military, enforced that rule. So Israel did not have its own government, per se. They were basically under Roman rule with some vassal kings, uh, sometimes, or a, gov- or a Roman governor. So this centurion was part of that military the Roman military is a, a centurion, possibly had hundreds of soldiers under him. And somehow, we don't know how, but somehow this man got to know about the God of Israel. And he, the Bible says that he even helped them build their synagogue. And so very interesting um, kind of situation. There were a, a Roman, a pagan, um, who's not a Jew, came into the land, occupying their land, but he ended up believing in their God. Very, in, very in, interesting. And this is also why we should never paint people with a broad brush, you know. There were, the, the Romans were hated by the Jews, and I'm sure there were a lot of stories of Roman centurions being brutal, and uh, we, we know from history a lot of terrible things that Romans did do, um, during their occupation, but this man was different. Uh, he was not the same. So you, you can never um, paint everybody in the, same, in the same brush. He actually loved the Jewish people. He loved the, um, Israel, and 
He ended up believing in their God, and he helped them build their synagogue. As we'll see in a, in a moment. But this man had a servant who was sick. The Bible says he was about to die. Now, there were two options that this man had. He could have said, this is life. People get sick and people die. For some people, he comes early. For some people, he comes later. This is just life. Like, he could have just said that and moved on. But faith, his faith kicked in, and he somehow believed this can be the end for this man. This can be the end for this servant. And so I want to talk about, about that, about the kind of faith that this man had here. And so you begin, the first thing you see here, that this man was not asking, his faith was not about asking stuff for himself. This was a servant, possibly likely a slave, uh, in, in, the, in those days, potentially a slave, uh, which was very common in those days. That's how, that was the only option for some of these people to live. They lived in your house, they served you, and that's how they made their living. They couldn't live on their own. But whatever the case may be, this wasn't his child, this wasn't his wife, this was not, this, was, this is an employee. But this man was so concerned about this employee, he didn't want him to die. He valued them so much. And somehow he believed then that Jesus could do something about it. So faith and love go together. It can't be just when we, 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 we're talking about faith. It can't just be faith about me, 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 and my things and my need. We got to care about others that God has put around us. The person that works for you, your neighbor, your boss, your coworkers. You know, it, 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 we, prayer can become a very selfish thing where it's only about me and it's only about what I need, what I want, what's not happening in my life and so forth. Now there's a place for that. We should pray for ourselves. I pray most of the time I pray. I am praying for myself. I, there, I, I do need to pray for myself. I have to stay away from sin. I have to stay away. I have to stay in love with the Lord. I have to know what God, how God is leading me and so forth. I, I do pray about these things. But if we are, you're not careful, prayer can become something where it's just all about us. I had um, an old spiritual mentor who used to give some people advice, especially parents. He'll tell them, if you are, you're a parent and your child is struggling, let's say your child is struggling in school, don't just pray for your child. Find out 10 other parents whose kids are struggling and start to pray for them as well. I thought that was a wise advice. Because otherwise, it's easy for prayer to become a selfish thing that's just about us. So this man somehow cared about people. Um, he, he built a synagogue for the people in his, the community that he lived in. He cared about a dying, uh, a dying servant. And I want to say also this, that very often we face life circumstances and we don't give God a chance to step in. We simply accept circumstances that this is the way things are. If you have a child who is a, a rebellious teenager, people come and tell you, well, this is just the way it is. You know, these kids nowadays, they don't believe in God. They just follow the world and so forth. 
But no, the attitude that this man here has, was, no, this can't be the end. The, at some point, we have to begin to look at our life circumstances and say, God may have something different for me. God may want something else here. It can't just be that these children turn, to, uh, they, they graduate, they go to college, they forget God, they become unbelievers, atheists and agnostics, and so forth, and start posting things against God on Facebook or, or whatnot. It, we, we can't just accept that as this is just life. That's the generation we live in. You say, no, I believe God is able to change this circumstance. God is able to do something about this. If there is something in your home that is dying, something in your life that is dying, don't just accept it and say, this is life, this is just what happens. Give God a chance to do something about it. And this is what this man did. And so um, the Bible says here that he sent, um, the, the, the centurion heard that Jesus, uh, heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him to ask him to come and heal his servant. He turned to God. Very often when we have issues, we turn to men. We get on the phone, we call people, we start to um, connive and, and plot and scheme and do whatever and plead and beg with people. That's not what this man did here. He took his issue to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. Somehow he believed that God could do something, that Jesus could do something about his problem. And that is a habit, folks, that we need to develop. It cannot just be that we, um, we have our problems and we go to counseling. Counseling is fine. Counseling has its place. But you and I have to learn to take our issues to God, to go to the Lord and to pray, to go to the Lord and to call on Him, to go to the Lord and to bring our petition. There is and it is an amazing thing in the life of a Christian when you realize by experience, not theory, that you can bring your issues to the Lord and God will answer you and will do something about it. It is an amazing thing when that happens in the life of a Christian. If that has never happened to you and it's possible, it has not, give God a chance to do it once. <laughs> The next time you're in a crisis, or maybe you're in one right now, maybe there's something in your life that's going on, take it to the Lord. People are fine, counselors are fine, but there are some things that a pastor can help you with. What would a pastor have done in this situation here? There are situations where no man, no woman of God can help you. You have to learn to take our issues to God, to take our confusions to God, to take our needs to God, to take our questions to God. We have to get to the point where we learn that, and we see that here, faith turns to God, with, and faith begins to seek answers from God. And listen to what it says here. Um, it says that when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. There was an earnest plea. That's in, um, that's in, verse, in, in verse 4. They pleaded earnestly with him. At least that's the language that's used here in the NIV 84. They entreated with him. They, they, they didn't tell him it would be nice if you came, you know. Um, it, but they, they told him, no, you have to come. You, come, please. You're needed here. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
because it's a great promise. It really is. Um, the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There is a reward for those who seek God. Faith is believing that God, according to that verse, faith is believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him earnestly. We had an elders retreat, which was a really great, and one of the things that came up was just this idea of seeking the Lord. And it has been something that when I lead the noon prayer on Mondays and Thursday that I've frequently asked for prayer for us as a church, that we will learn to seek the Lord as individuals, to go to the Lord with, and pray and seek after Him, seek His answer, seek His face, seek, seek His hand, seek, seek Him. And the, when there is true faith, when people have true faith, they will always be seeking of God. So you often hear in some Christian circles where people talk about faith. There was a whole movement of the word of faith and so forth. One of the things that you can judge whether faith is genuine or not is whether the people who claim to have faith seek the Lord. Wherever there is true faith, people will pray. Wherever there is true faith in God, people will learn to take their issues to the Lord. The truth is that Many believers today are really, practically speaking, are atheists. Now, that's a, that's a, you may find that a strong statement to, uh, to say, but I say that from experience having spoken to a lot of believers. I find that many people don't really believe that God has the answers for them. They really don't. And when you try to suggest to them Take these things to God. Go into the Word. Go into prayer. They think you're crazy. I've had people say that to me. They come with an issue and I tell them, yeah, go seek the Lord. Take the Word of God and pray. They're like, really? That's going to result? It, it sounds too simple. They want something else. One person at one point came to me with an issue and they said, you know, Freddie, I have this problem and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, what God says, but I don't want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what you think. And I listened to that, and that was so sad. You mean that me with my limited IQ, I'm going to come up with something cle more clever than what God has said in His Word. I'm going to come up with something more innovative than what God has said in His Word. No, I won't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what school you went to. You, we have some smart people here. You might have gone to Harvard, MIT, whatever. But God doesn't give anybody more wisdom than there is in His Word. God doesn't give anyone that kind of wisdom. We, we have to learn to go to the Lord and really believe that He has the answers for us. I don't care what is the issue that you're dealing with. I don't care what confusion you're dealing with. I don't know, I care how terminal it is. I don't, it doesn't matter whether it's something that no human being can do anything about. You can take that issue to the Lord in prayer, in faith. The other thing that um, you see here 
is that verse 6 says, Jesus went with them. When they came to Jesus and asked him, this man needs your help, please go. Jesus didn't say, I'm too busy. No, I won't do it. There is something amazing, one of the amazing facts in the Bible that you may not be aware of. There is no prayer that was prayed, Genesis to Revelation, that God did not answer. No one. Everybody who called on God, and there were lots of imperfect people in the Bible and all kinds of issues, but, and there are all kinds of issues for which people went to the Lord about in prayer. There is not one when God did not answer. And here's another thing that may surprise you. Um, you know, one of the um, differences between Jesus and the prophets of the Old Testament, it's a great thing to study, by the way, the differences between the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and difference between Jesus and the Old, uh, the, the Old Testament prophets. One of the things you will find that is just different, it's a, it's a note of significant difference between Jesus and all the other folks in, in the Old Testament is just how often he healed people and cast out demons. You barely see that, yeah, there's a couple of times where Elijah and Elijah raised someone from the dead, but virtually there's nothing else other than that. It's, uh, you see, by Jesus, it's almost left and right, he's healing people. We have some accounts where on the same day, he healed several people. And why is that? Now, I didn't write that. These are the things that God chose to put in the scriptures for us. Why is that? It is to teach us that this was part of Jesus revealing the heart of the Father, which is what Jesus came to do. He came to give us a clear picture of who God is. And part of him revealing the heart of God was to show the compassion that God has for the pains of human life. That God is not indifferent to your pain, to my pains. He's not indifferent to the issues that you go through. He constantly was showing compassion to people and healing people simply out of his compassion. And there is not one instance, not one, in the Gospels, where someone who was sick came to Jesus or had some other problem or their child was demon person or whatever, where Jesus did not heal or deliver them. Not one. Now, there are many people who managed not to get in front of Jesus, but every single person who managed to get in front of him, he helped them. What's even striking, especially for me, you know that I, like, I talk a lot about repentance and so forth. There isn't one instance where he told somebody, go repent first, then come and I'll help you. Not one. Now that's confusing to me because if I were preaching a sermon, I'd like to say go repent first. Then come and Jesus will help you. But he did not do that. We have to be faithful to the scriptures. There is not one instance where Jesus even told some, he told some people after he healed them, um, he now stay away from sin, lest something worse happen to you. It clearly was implying there that sometimes our problems are the result of our sins. But he healed and helped people simply out of his compassion. He didn't even demand that the people believe that he was the Messiah before he helped them, because he was simply trying to show the heart of God. Now, 
You do need to balance that with the scripture that says in James chapter 5, is anyone among you sick, let him call the elders, they will anoint him with oil, and if there, any sin has been committed, they'll be forgiven. So I'm not saying that that's not needed or repentance is not required, but I'm just saying that in the accounts of the gospel here, every single person who managed to get in front of Jesus, Jesus helped them. Now, does God always heal people? Does God always rescue people who are, about to, who are about to die? No. But let God tell you that he will not do it. Don't assume that he doesn't want to. If God doesn't want to do something, he's able to speak. He's able to express himself. Let him tell you. You pray and seek the Lord for an answer. And if the answer comes and God tells you no, I won't do what, I have different purposes for you. The, the way for you to glorify me is how you will go through these circumstances rather than me changing the circumstances. And then fine, we have to submit to that. But don't simply assume that that's, God doesn't want to help you. We do need faith. And so Jesus did go with them. And if you go to the Lord, you get in front of him in prayer you bring your issues to the Lord, he will do something for you. Now, I don't know when he will, I don't know how he will, but I do know that he will, because God is committed to answering prayer. Let me go back to the Hebrews 11 uh, verse and point something to you, a, a language to you that may also make you uh, feel uncomfortable, is that Jesus uses the term reward. He says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, a reward is not a gift. A reward is not free. You work for a reward. Now, I say that it's uncomfortable because we're used to, as believers, to thinking about everything is free. It's all by grace and so forth. But Jesus did say that if you pray in the secret, the Father in heaven will reward you. There is a reward to those who turn to the Lord. And that's not a gift. It is given to those who seek the Lord earnestly. I'm saying that to say this. There are a lot of things in our lives that would be different if we turn to the Lord in faith, in prayer. The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. As much as we'd like to say, well, you know, God just wants things to be this way. He's going to give us great. The truth is also you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes you ask people, well, have you prayed about this? They say, yeah, I've been praying, but God is not answering me. And if you drill down deep, because I, I, like, um, I, I like to, I, 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 how do I say, Lord, help me say this in a way that will not come out bad. Uh, I, I, I do not like hearing people sound like God is unfaithful. Okay, I don't like hearing that because God is faithful. To come and say, I pray God is not answering me. Are you calling God a liar? All the testimonies we have of those who sought the Lord and he gave us all these promises just to fool us. It's an insult on the character of God. I do not like hearing that. I don't. And oftentimes when people will say that, yeah, I pray God has not answered me, and I'll, I'll start to ask questions. How much did you pray? You pray yesterday, and you'll find out that they prayed for 30 seconds in between washing dishes. 
In between liking Facebook posts, they, they say the prayer. Then they come, they say, yeah, Pastor, God's not answering me, answering me. I mean, we're, that's not earnestly seeking the Lord. That's not earnestly seeking God. It's not. Let's stop charging God with lying. The truth is not many people seek. Look, you heard me say this before. You know, I'm an engineer and I like numbers and data. They did a survey of pastors in the United States years ago. I was still in high school at the time. In the southern states of the United States, and they found out the average pastor spent seven to eight minutes a day in prayer. That's for pastors. Okay. And I can only assume that it's less for the lay people. Now, when our prayer lives is an average of five, seven minutes a day, and then we say God has been unfaithful, we're not being serious. Um, he, does, he does reward those who seek him earnestly. The scriptures are filled with that, and here is a man um, who, who believed in the Lord. And so, the Bible says, Jesus was now far from the house, this is also in verse 6, when the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Um, for I myself am a man under authority, soldiers under me. I tell one go, and he goes, and to this one comes, and he comes. There's a lot to unpack there. And if there's um, nothing else that you remember from this before we pray, here is the thing that I do want to point out about the faith of this man here. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Jesus, it says, was close to his house, was not far from the house. So I don't know whether this man was looking out a window or what. He saw Jesus coming and he sent a second group of people, friends, the Bible says, and to tell Jesus, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, earlier on, when he had sent the first group of people, the Jewish elders, what did they say to Jesus? Clue, it's in verse 4. What did they say to Jesus? This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. These people felt that this man deserved He's been good. He's helped us. He's built our synagogue. He's done this. He's done that for us. Please go and help him. He deserves to. If anybody needs your help today, Jesus, this is the man who needs it. But he did not think that way. He said, I do not deserve to, to have you come under my roof. He said the opposite of what the other folks said. So that's why I didn't even think that I should come to you myself. And I sent others. Faith always comes with humility. And this man here was showing humility. 
Pride is an enemy of faith. It weakens our prayers because the Bible says God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And in speaking of prayer, um, Jesus says, it's very interesting that there is often um, tag on to prayer certain types of teaching that you will see around prayer. One of them is often humility. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable, two men went to the temple to pray, to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He attended Osagi's class and learned he should give a tenth. Um, but a tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And Jesus gives what I call the law of spiritual gravity here. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone. No exception. Two people went to the temple to pray, the other one was just full of his pride. And so he went away, did not receive anything from God. Now, I don't know whether he noticed that or not. A lot of prayers are hindered because we pray with pride. Faith always is, comes with humility. If you read, I don't have time to go through, but you read through some of the other instances where Jesus uh, healed people, you will always see an element of humility in the faith. A man came, bowed before him and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. There was a posture of humility there. And the woman with uh, the issue of blood, if only I could touch him, I will be, I will be, made, I'll be made well. There's always a posture of humility. Now, what is humility? Humility is not saying, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. Uh, how do we know that? Because the the most humble person in the Bible is Jesus himself, and he had no sin. Okay. And so, what, what, what is, how, and, and Jesus does say, I am gentle and humble at heart. The only place where he describes his character is in Matthew chapter 11. So what was the humility of Jesus? It was the inner posture that he took towards the Father. And he was willing to humble and lower and lower and lower himself all the way on to death, even death on the cross. So humility is really an inner posture. It's a, a, the result of receiving a revelation of who God is. And when I see how great God is and how small I am compared to God, the natural response to that is an inner posture where we bow down before the Lord. And this is what this man had. I, did not, I didn't even feel worthy to come to you, he said. 
And I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. So he said, Lord, don't trouble yourself. It was humility. He wasn't a man who was saying, I deserve to have you do this, I deserve to have you do that. Um, one of the ways you know that, um, one of the ways that you know that there is often not faith is when people pray as though um, they're demanding something from God. God, you've got to do this, and if you don't this, so you're a bad God, and I'm not ever coming to church again. Well, that attitude is not an attitude of humility here. Um, we don't deserve to have God do anything for us. The truth is, when he gave Christ for us, he gave us more than we ever deserve. And everything else that he gives us after that is just the mercy and the goodness of God. So there was humility in, this, in the faith of this man. Um, and here is an interesting thing that he says. For I myself, I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I said to my servant, do this, and he does it. He, what he was saying was that there is this, there is this um, idea in the military of, um, of a chain of command. Okay? So whenever a military officer encounters someone who is um, above him in rank, they have to salute, recognize that this person is superior to them, and they will follow the order. The superior person can tell to the junior officer, you go do 20 push-ups, and they'll do it. It's drilled into them that you do what your higher-up tell you to do. And so this man was saying, I'm not even at the top of the chain. I've got people under me. I'm really not that big of a deal, but I have some soldiers under me. And look at the way they obey me. When I tell this one, go here, they run and go, and when I tell this one, go, they go, they go do it. And he was saying to Jesus, you have no authority above you. You are the ultimate commander. And so this man was saying, I'm not even Caesar, I'm not even at the top of, of, the, of, of the military here, but the people who are under me obey me. And you, Jesus, you have no superior. You have no one above you, so anything will listen to you. You can issue a command, and every single thing in creation will listen to you. And I pray, and I want you to get that, that God, Jesus, is almighty. Everything is under his lordship and under his control. He controls everything from the cherubims and the archangels to the stars and the planets, the sun and the moon, to the worms, to the winds and the waves. Every single thing is under the command of God. He just has to issue a command and every single thing obeys him. Faith is believing that God is able to do anything that he wants to do. No one tells him, you can do this, you can do that, that's not going to happen. It doesn't matter what it is. So you and I, 
not only are we going to God who is willing to answer us, like Jesus was willing to go to that man's house, we're not, only, not only are we dealing with a generous and kind Father who wants to enter our life circumstances, but also we are dealing with God who is sovereign above all. And there is nothing that is not under, under his sovereignty, by the way, including the devil, including Satan and all his demons, they all obey God. If he tells them, get out, they get, they, they get out. They tell them, go here, they, they go. He's supreme over everything. And that's true of your life circumstances as well. And so, this man said this to Jesus. And here is what he was saying. He believed that Jesus was God. He believed that Jesus was who he said he is. Faith is not a feeling, uh, although it may involve feelings. Faith is simply recognizing that God is who he says he is. And so, if I give you... Um, it's not that we read the promises in the Bible and because we have those promises, we believe them and we have faith. It is that we know who has given us those promises and he is trustworthy and he's able. So it's like this, the illustration, it's like if I, if I give you, uh, if I, somebody handed you a check um, of a million dollars and it was signed by Mickey Mouse, uh, you'll, you'll never go cash that check. Okay? But if someone gave you a check and it was signed by a billionaire, then you know you would go and cash it out because it's not the check, it's who is handing it over, who's, cash, who, who's signing it. In the same way, it's not, our faith is not in mantras, it's not, and, and this is where um, the... Uh, the, 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 the words of faith movement where they teach people just say things enough times and then you're going to make it happen, repeat certain things, confess them, they're going to come to pass. That's putting our faith in our own words. That's what's done in some pagan religions where they believe in saying mantras and if you say them enough time, a certain number of times, you're going to make it happen. That's not Christianity. I hope you know that. We don't put our faith in our prayers. We put our faith in the God who answers prayers. It's not that we put our faith in the promises of God. We put our faith in the God who gave us those promises. And so when we're coming before the Lord, we are asking him, these are the things you promised to us. And we believe that you are faithful and you will fulfill what you said you would. And so this is why this man believed. He believed that Jesus was God, that he had no authority above him. And he could do whatever he, he wanted. And the Bible said when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, Jesus, this is not something that is often said about Jesus, that he was amazed. You know, the two things that amazed Jesus, they said he was amazed. Who knows? There is another statement in the gospel that said Jesus was amazed. No, what I'm, I'm asking for the opposite. Uh, so Jesus was amazed by faith, but who wants to guess what else was he amazed by? 
unbelief. Yeah, funny, you've heard me say that. <laughs> unbelief. Where does it say that, funny? <laughs> it's where? No, it's okay. It is when Jesus goes to his hometown and they don't believe him there. Unlike this man, they did not believe he was who he was saying. Say, this is the, the, the kid who used to play around on our streets. He, how come he's the Messiah now? No. And the Bible says he could not do many miracles there. God Almighty was limited by their lack of faith. And he said that he marveled. He was amazed at their unbelief. So there are things that surprised Jesus. He was surprised by unbelief. And he was surprised by faith. The faith of this man. Now, let me conclude by, begin by conclude by saying this. Um, this Roman, Jesus says that, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Wow. So, the Israelites are the ones who had the Bible, had the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenants of Moses, and all of that. They were the ones who should have had faith. But this man, from a pagan background, who probably used to worship Jupiter or whatever they worshipped in Rome at the time, at the time, he had faith that the Israelites did not have. Even in Israel, I have not, I have not seen such, I have not found such faith. Jesus was his plan was to go to the house, maybe lay his hand on this sick person, this sick servant, and make that person well. This man's faith opened the door for Jesus to heal him from afar. And the amazing thing that we read here in verse, 30, in verse 10, then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. One thing you notice here is what um, this man, the, the centurion, has said to Jesus, but say, you, 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 I'm not worthy to come to you, but say a word and my servant will be healed. You notice one thing, Jesus did not even say a word. <laughs> he did not. He didn't even have to say a word. He simply agreed with the person, faith was done. That's how much authority he has. He didn't even have, he didn't have to go to the house. He didn't even have to say a word from afar. The moment he resolved in his mind, this person is getting healed, that was it. And by the time the people returned to the house, the servant was well. Not even in Israel had he found such faith. So I want to ask um, you and I today, um, do you have something? I mean, what, what, what's dying? This man has a, had a dying servant in his house. Is there something that's dying in your house? Is there a child, a spouse, who's dying spiritually? Is there something in your life that's dying? Is, is your walk with God dwindling? What is it? Is, are you, what's the thing that you need God for? 